Well, welcome. I'm joined by Jason O'Shea, uh, one of the London City Mission team. And we're going to be talking uh, about the important issue of knife crime and how the church can respond. Jason, welcome. Thank you very really much. Good to be with Jason, you. Jason, it's nice to be welcomed by you, Jason. <laughs> um, Jason, tell us briefly who you are, what you do. Jason O'Shea. Um, yeah. I lead the ministry team for Operation Forgiveness, which is an early intervention Knife Crime Youth Violence Preventative Initiative. Okay, tell us a little um, bit more so about we, that we, initiative. Yeah, we, we go into school. So um, this started um, about seven years ago, uh -huh. coming on to eight years. Um, but the ministry really was birthed when my, my wife's brother was murdered. He was stabbed and killed in mm -hmm. 2010. And both my wife and her mum, so Teo, my wife Teo and her mum Sarah started going into prisons mm. and sharing the ripple effects of his murder. So, you know, it was part of a restorative justice programme uh -huh. in prisons. And the prisoners kept coming up with the same thing. And this is in all different types of prisons. And they kept saying, if only someone told me when I was in school about the ripple effects of my actions, I might not be here today. Hmm. And then um, I was working for London City Mission and I was called in one day for a conversation about youth violence and Operation Forgiveness was born. And we started going into schools. Um, it was that we'd never thought you could go into schools and have this message talk about, you know, murder and, and these kind of things so it mm. was it was um yeah it, it, it wasn't something that we had planned in that sense but it was something that just came to came to be mm. um so it's yeah and we've been doing that for seven years going into schools praise god praise god tell us a bit more about the reality of knife crime in london and in cities yeah i think i mean the reality um of of let's use the term youth violence yes you know it is is it's something that's always been with us particularly in london um it, it's not a new phenomenon it's not something new it's something that's always been there yeah um however it has become you know through various reasons so bad now that it is affecting people that are you know that recently in Croydon this the young lady Eliane who was who was yeah. murdered you know this is a young girl going to private school on the bus on the way to school and her story really resonated um, particularly with mum because it was the same same situation that your child has you've sent your child off to school at eight in the morning at nine you get in a call that your your child has been murdered and it's you know so it, it's it's it, and that obviously affected, I was at the vigil and there was over a thousand people in Croydon at the vigil, it's, it's affected everybody. You know, we think back to um, George Floyd and yeah. what happened, you know, and and again, it was something that, that resonated with people. Yeah. Um, so uh, we have to, we have to look at the, look at this as something where, okay, look, what, what, where, where can good come from something so bad, so tragic? We've seen that happen with Zach's Zach's life and Zach's death. Yeah. Um, and we have to see that at this moment in time. You know, what what can we do? What can mm. be done? And it's not it's not a uh, you've mentioned sort of boys in London. It's not a a, a black white issue. Not a black issue. Black boys issue, is it? And uh, the, the stats show us that. Even though the media they? would would really paint a different picture. It's absolutely not. So every single report, and I've read reports, and because I have to be able to back up what I'm saying. Yeah. So I, I do a lot of research, and every single report, whether it's the government, 
um, or, or you know, who, ju- justice, whoever it is, will always say that ethnicity is not a driver. Mm. It is not a driver. Someone's ethnicity is not a driver towards uh, youth violence. Mm. The drivers are, are, are uh, poverty, um, children that are in care, abused, um, things mm. you know, things that have basically adverse childhood experiences, what they would call ACE yeah. children. It's things that have happened. In fact, um, one report said that 91 percent of young offenders um, had had suffered abuse or loss when when they were younger. Yeah. They, they fitted into that category. Um, so most definitely not. Um, we just got to look at Scotland. Absolutely, yeah. Scotland, Scotland was Glasgow was was referred to as the murder capital of Europe, huh. and and their knife crime problem was far worse. It was so bad the government. Um, treated it as a public health issue yeah. and they approached it as if it was a disease and yeah. they implemented strategies that they learned from, uh, I believe, Chicago and they, they implemented these strategies and they reduced um, what you would call knife crime by over yeah. Uh, um, 60%. Yeah. So we, we, we know early intervention works. We have all the evidence early intervention works. We've known that for almost a decade, Yeah. Um, but we are still in a position in London. So I would say... Um, ethnicity is most certainly, it's not a driver, mm. but it definitely, evidently has affected the response to, to youth violence, yeah. um, which is which is heartbreaking. And it is something that needs to be addressed. But I think, you know, we we need to get in and do what we know works. Well, I love, I, I love what you're saying there. We need to think about what can we do in response and what yeah. can we do that we know works. And the evidence, as you say, shows that early intervention works. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to uh, hear from uh, uh, mum and um, mum Sarah and Teo, uh, your wife, Zach's story now. And this is part of uh, what you use to go into schools because we know that this sort of thing works. So let's cross over now and hear that story. He was happy. It was a a very sunny day. He had his uniform on and he left. He went to school, I think about eight to get to school for 8.30. And um, the house phone rang and it was a teacher. And she said, I should sit down. And I said, why? She said, there's been an incident in the school. And she said, Zach's been stabbed. And I screamed. And my younger daughter, just came back from uni. She was in her room. She had me screamed. And she rushed down. She said, Mom, what happened? And I said, this teacher, the teacher just called me to say Zach has been stabbed. So we, we ran out of the house, both of us. I can't even tell you how we got to the school. But when we got to the school from the road, the road has been cordoned off. And um, police officers all over the place, police cars everywhere, and there was ambulance, and I rushed into the coding, and, I, and as I was coming, some of the students must have seen me, pointed to the police officer, that that's his Zach's mom. And I said, I want to see him, where is my son? And he said, I should come down. So he put us in his, in his van, and he drove us to the hospital. When we got to the hospital, we, we were asked to sit down in a little room, and I couldn't sit down. I said, I want to see my son. And the nurse that was looking after us said, um, I can't see him. But she went and she came back again. She said, I will allow you to see him because he's been out for 45 minutes in case he comes around. 
he might be in a vegetative state. So he took us to where he was being treated. But when we got there, we couldn't see, I didn't see my son. I said, where is my son? But they're, they're treating him because his, his chest was opened and we couldn't see his face. So he said, um, he said, that is Zach. And my daughter screamed, that's not my brother. And I passed out. They carried me, they put me on a stretcher and they placed me next to him. And um, about five minutes, they called the time and he was pronounced dead. He's not only my son, he was my friend. I remember that morning was, it was a Friday morning and it was really hot and I was like rushing to get myself and my children ready for school. And Zach usually came into my room to use my comb, which was really annoying. But that morning I remember he didn't come in, so I didn't see him that morning. And I left for work, dropped my kids to school, and then I um, got into work, made a cup of tea. I looked at my phone and I had a text from my sister and she said, Zach has been stabbed. And so that was, yeah, I, I don't know why, but in my head at that time, I thought, oh my goodness, he's been stabbed in the leg and he must be really scared because he doesn't like pain and I just need to call him and speak to him and tell him it will be all right and I'm leaving work and I'm going to be with you. And so I got my phone and I rang him and his phone just rang and it just felt like ice, like in my heart, like I just suddenly started thinking, okay, maybe this is worse than I thought. I called him again and he didn't answer. So I left work and I tried to get a cab. There were no cabs. Um, I jumped on the bus, but it was the wrong bus. And I was just trying to keep in contact at the time with my sisters to find out what was going on. And then I remember being on one bus and then my little sister, who was with my mum at the time, um, she said, that the nurse had said that there was a slim chance that he would survive. And at that point, I realized the seriousness of it. And I was just praying to God, please save my brother, please save my brother, please. And then I arranged with my sister to meet her. She was driving so I could get to the hospital as well. And then I got in the car and she started to try and drive to the hospital. And we know the way to the hospital, but we just got lost and were going down all these wrong roads. My phone rang and it was my little sister's number. But to this day, I don't know if it was my sister who spoke because there was just a sound on the end of the phone and it just didn't sound human. The person said, he's dead. And I just remember feeling like someone punched me in the stomach. Yeah, I couldn't breathe. And then my sister was crying and she was trying to drive and it was just the worst experience of my life and then we got to the hospital and she couldn't find anywhere to park and I just got out of the car and I just ran into the hospital into the A&E department and I said my brother's name and they just took me back and when I went into that little room and I saw my mum's face um, I knew that my brother was really dead when he died, it felt like 
a bomb had gone off in our family. It totally destroyed us, to, to be completely honest. Um, because Zach was like the heart and the soul of the family and the way he died, um, the fact that he was gone was just, um, yeah, it, it ripped us apart. My mum, she got really ill, lost lots of weight. Um, all Zach's nieces and nephews had to have counselling. Um, his friends had to have counselling. Some of them moved away. Um, yeah, the people um, at the school were affected, the teachers. Um, my older sister, eight months pregnant. Um, a month later, she gave birth in the same hospital that Zach died in, um, and her daughter was stillborn. Zach was the youngest of us eight children, um, so when he died, we felt a lot of guilt. Um, we felt like it was our job to protect him. Um, and we felt like we didn't do that. We felt like we should have been there and helped him. Um, so we struggled with a lot of guilt relating to that. My son was nearly seven at the time that Zach died and he, he started to wet himself at school. Um, and so when we, he was spoken with about, you know, why he was wetting himself, um, we found out that it was only happening on a Friday. Um, and he wet himself because he was scared to go to the toilet because he thought that the boys who had killed my brother would come back and would kill him. So his understanding of what had happened was, you know, um, it was just filled with, he was filled with a lot of fear um, for his own safety. Um, the ambulance service were affected, the police, um, the community around our home who'd watched Zach grow up. Um, so many people were affected. It's an incredibly powerful story, Jason. Could you tell us something about the, the role and power of forgiveness in this issue of serious youth violence? Yeah. So in, in our family's story, yeah. we, we, we see that mum, during the court case, struggled with hating these boys that had murdered her, her son, her, her baby of eight, her, her, her best friend. Um, and she struggled with hating them. And when I say struggled, like she wrestled, like I'm supposed to hate them. But she actually, you know, didn't have those feelings towards them. Um, and she, you know, she had recently become a Christian and uh, she knew she needed to forgive them and she mm. had to forgive them. And um, what mum says is, is that she believes that Jesus uh, lived, that he died and that he rose again. And because he rose again, that gave her hope that she was going to see her son again. And from that, she was able to forgive these boys and to, to, to you know, have that actual action of saying to us, oh, no, I forgive them. They weren't sorry. There's no remorse. They're laughing and joking. But during that process, during that time, she was able to forgive them. Yeah. And that's probably what saved her life, huh. being able to forgive, being able to let go of all the anger, the bitterness, the vengeance, all of this stuff that was just, just completely eating her and destroying her. And she was able to let go of this. Yeah. Um, my wife's journey was very different. 
she'd also become a Christian recently, and the Christian message is, for, you know, forgive, all right? Um, you, you've been forgiven, so forgive. Um, but again, she, she, you know, she felt, well, God's not, God, no way would God expect me to forgive these boys for murdering my little brother. Mm -hmm. I'm supposed to protect my little brother. There's no way. And as time went on, um, she, she, you know, she became very bitter, very, 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 you know, very angry. And, and it, there came a point when, um, our daughter came and hugged her, who, who was about three at the time and hugged her and Teo distinctively remembers not feeling any emotion, not feeling any love. Right. And, and she realized if I, if I continue holding on to this unforgiveness, my daughter could grow up with no love and become the sort of person that could take a life when she's older. And that was the catalyst. And no, I, I, I need to forgive. And she started her journey and they both arrived at that place of forgiveness. Um, we teach this in schools. We teach about having a forgiving attitude and the importance of it is because it will change the trajectory of your life. If you're carrying the bitterness, the vengeance, the anger, and you're carrying these things, it will, it will affect you and, and what you're doing. What mum says is that it's like a poisonous snake mm. that comes and bites you and put the poison <laughs> in you. And then you run around trying to kill the snake while the poison's killing you. What you need to do is get the poison out. Yeah. So it, it, it's really having a real understanding of what forgiveness means. Because all my life, I felt that if you say you forgive, it's like it, it's saying it's okay and you're letting them off. And that person needs to grovel and say, sorry. And then you say, all right, I forgive you. That's not what it is. Well, the forgiveness, what we're teaching is, is the letting go, the letting go of the anger, letting go of the vengeance, letting go of the bitterness. And, and as Christians, um, it's something that we believe we're, we're, we're told to do. You know, mm. the Bible says that vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So it's, it's, it's to let go. And, it's, and that's not easy. No. Because you could do the perpetrator, you could be living their best life. And you're thinking to yourself, you know what, I'm forgiving them. Like, they're just carrying on. They don't care. And yeah. you want justice and you want to see, and, and something that, you know, when you forgive someone, justice is important. Yeah. There might be a small thing that you can forgive and forget and keep it moving. Um, but for, for many things, for most things, when someone has, has, has done something bad, there needs to be justice. So to forgive them doesn't mean they didn't need to go to prison. They needed to be justice and whatever the legal system says that is. Um, so forgiveness is, is, a, is a key, uh, it's key to what we, we teach. We're teaching these children. I learned when I was 46 about forgiveness, you know. It's, we're teaching them at this age. This could literally change the trajectory of their life. And and we also, obviously, we, we, we're trauma-informed. Uh, we know about child protection, so we, this is all done in a very um, sound way. Um, and the young people are, are, are told that no one's allowed to hurt you. Mm. Just because you forgive someone doesn't mean they're allowed to hurt you. If someone's yeah. hurting you, and I'd say this for big people as well, if someone's hurting you, um, if you're in a situation where, where it's an abusive situation or someone's hurting you, um, you may want decide you want to forgive that person, but you most certainly do not stay in that situation. You must tell someone. Yeah. And yeah. for our young people, we, we, we establish they have a trusted adult in their life at the beginning of the session. And at this point, we remind them, remember that trusted adult, you need to tell them if someone's hurting you. No one is allowed to hurt you. So forgiveness doesn't mean it's okay. Yeah, it doesn't mean it's all right, and and it's not dependent on the person. It's got nothing to do with them. The person who's caused the wrong. It's it's you mm. letting go of all of the negativity. So so forgiveness is very key to to the message. Um, and both my and Teo tell their stories on video about their journeys to forgiveness. Yeah. So the, the the young people get to to hear that. What kind of impact have you seen from? Uh, that story of forgiveness being told and you, you know you've operation forgiveness has been running now for for some years and you've had the chance to go into a number of schools a number of different contexts to share that story what, what sort of impact have you seen um 
So when when you when when we get to the point of um, forgiveness, because what we do with the young people, we explain what forgiveness re- what it means to forgive. So they get an understanding of what forgiveness is and what it isn't. They see a very very real extreme practical example mm. of forgiveness and the impacts. They've also learned about the ripple effects of people's actions and the negative ripples. And once we've gone through that, we then give them an an opportunity to exercise what they've learned. So they they get the opportunity to forgive someone. So we say to the young people um, to close their eyes, and this is for privacy. Um, so I always say to them, but you know, they all get to close their eyes and put their heads down on their laps. And we say to them, um, you know, is there someone in your life you need to forgive? And we make some suggestions. It could be an absent parent, could be something small, like your brother or your sister done done something. It could be someone at school, it might be something major. Remember, and no one's allowed to hurt you. You know, if someone's hurting you, you must tell that trusted adult. Um, but is there, is there anyone you need to forgive? Just put your hand up and then put it back down again. And then, and then we repeat these things and just talk them through it. And you see these hands go up, including teachers. And mm. you see the hands go up where they're recognising, yeah, I'm, I'm carrying this unforgiveness and I need to let it go because I can see from this session today of the damage this will cause me if I don't. When I had that reflection on closing my eyes, I think I'm going to forgive some people because I think it will help me a lot. I feel like that um, since... It's really hard to forgive people. So you say like some somebody like pushed you on accident in like the playground or whatever. Now that I've heard heard this, I should forgive them a lot easier. It was very touching and it made me think like um, I'm not the only Christian in the world because I am a Christian and what um, I agreed with every single thing that Jason said about like forgiveness and the fact that Jesus loves us. The children seemed so so engaged. It it was it was lovely to see the the sort of intensity in which that they were listening and and learning from from those experiences and and really reflecting on on what was being said. I think the key messages have have really been heard today, and it'll be exciting to talk to the children after the session and see how much kind of what their views are and, and how they've reflected on it. One of, the, one of the most impactful, and it's the same story I will always repeat, was this young girl um, who, who, who had told me she wanted to share. And I said, OK, what, what, what is it? She said, I want to forgive the man that killed my mum. And I'm, I just melted on the spot, man. I'm like, what do you do with that? Mm. Like, wow. It's, you know, it's, it, is, it, is, it is so powerful. So before sessions, um, we've done little surveys where we've said, you know, we... Have you ever, would you carry a knife or do you carry a knife? Um, and then at the end of the session, we asked the same, the same question. After today's session, would you ever consider carrying a knife? And the answer is always no way, no hmm. way. Um, and I think for these young people, when we, they, they hear the impact, they hear it. And it's being told by someone who's heard it firsthand from, from mum and from Teo. So they, 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 they hear the impact and the ripple effects of their actions of carrying a knife. Uh, we talk about the dangers of carrying a knife. One, one, you could be arrested, you know, up to four years in prison for carrying a knife. Mm. Two, you might bring a knife into a situation where there wasn't one. That person started on you, but they might take it off you and use it on you, mm. which, which happens. And then the third one, which is, which is the one for me, the, 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 imagine that you, you, you did carry enough to protect yourself and then someone started and you ended up taking their life. Imagine the ripple effects of taking someone's life. Mm. And, and, that really sinks in. There's a lot of pausing when I when I when I do it with them, and it really hits home because they've heard the ripples. They've 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 probably shed tears during the session because of the ripples, and then they have that realization of yeah, if I carry a knife, there's a op- there's a chance I might end up taking someone's life. So um, I can't imagine any child unless they go through more trauma after experience operation forgiveness. I can't I can't imagine any of them 
decide making this conscious decision to carry a knife in their life. Wow. So yeah, so it's, it is it is it's powerful. It's powerful. It is powerful. It is mm. powerful. How does Operation Forgiveness bring in the gospel to to that presentation? Yeah. So so obviously we're in schools, um, and we're not going in there to. Um, convert them and mm -hmm. make them believe what we believe or anything else we are sharing our story we are re hub approved so that means to be re hub approved it means it's not an re lesson it means we know the language to speak so mm -hmm. the language we speak with like we as christians believe and then we can share what we believe mm -hmm. um the gospel is absolutely key to our story because it is the catalyst that that mum mum believed that jesus rose again so she's going to see her son again and that gave her the hope yeah, and and the strength to be able to forgive these these boys, um, and and it is it is a key to our story. So we we and we make sure we explain it properly. We explain the the gospel properly. We use the two ways to live, and we 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 we've adapted it with the young people to act, and so it's explained in a, in a you know very sound way, um, and we're very. Very That's clear with our language. Gospel outline, the two yeah, ways to live. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anybody in there is going to hear, they hear the gospel very clearly, um, but they also hear from us. You you, you make your own decision mm. in life. We're not, you know, we're not telling you what you must believe. You believe <laughs> you believe what you want. This is what we believe. Yeah. And we, so we, you know, and we are able to, to, to do that. Um, we, you know, it's in a respectful way. It's, it, it's accessible to everybody. This is not just church schools. We go every non-faith school we've been to has invited us back in time after time to to deliver this, and, yeah. and they're happy with it. And I can't imagine anyone in the world would have the audacity to say to mum, "You need to take this bit out of your story." <laughs> so, yeah, it's an integral part, and I it mean, is, yeah, vital. Presumably, you see a range of responses to that as people yeah. hear the gospel. Yeah. Incorporated in there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Look, tell us how Operation Forgiveness can give churches a way of tackling knife crime. Yeah. So church, the, the church is, is um, so well equipped to really impact youth violence like on such a, such a big level. We're in a position now that we've, we've put a package together of videos and, and a teacher's booklet and when I say put it together, we haven't put it together in five minutes. This took seven years <laughs> to get to this point. Yeah. And we've at London City Mission, I've got an amazing team of professionals that have helped to, to really hone this in. Um, so it's on point. So we've got this, this booklet, this whole teacher's pack, and we are training churches so they can send teams of two to three people into their local schools great for the church because you're able to connect with your local local school particularly primary schools mm. um and and we're all we're asking the church is, is take a day off you know to give us a day saturday for your training take one day off in the year and you're going to go in and reach a class of up to 30 children huh. and and the hope is they would do a lot more than that mm. but that's 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 the wide goalpost of what we're what we're asking them to do so we we, we do a vision night so if anybody who's going to go to the training has to experience it firsthand. Yeah. So they're not just telling this sad story from YouTube. They're telling something that they've heard personally. Yeah. This is personal. And, and then they're going in and, and they get the training and they go in and share it. Huh. So this could really mobilize the churches on, a, on, on such a big level. And, and what I love about that is it's so simple. Mm. It's not asking them to sign nah. up for weeks and weeks. Nah. It's, nah. A, it's a small commitment yeah. that can make a massive difference. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us, Jason. Ooh. It's been a blessing. We'd love for you to have the opportunity to experience Operation Forgiveness for yourself 
And if you'd like to do that, the, the best way is to attend one of the vision nights that you've heard uh, Jason talk about. They happen regularly uh, around the year, often at Naismith House on Towerbridge Road. And you can find out the details by visiting the website operationforgiveness.org.uk. And that will be up to date uh, with when and where those are happening. Thank you.